At the Bama Breeze You can shoot some pool down there You can act a fool down there You can play it cool down there At the Bama Breeze You can drink some beer down there Argue, laugh, and cheer down there Pass another year down there Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard, along with Scott Reynolds, on a victory Monday, Scott. It feels good. After that Saints game, I was doubting we might feel one of these for a little bit, but they showed, the Buck showed this week that maybe I should have been so doubtful of their chances of getting a W. Yeah, I, I think when you look at this this win, John, uh, this is this is kind of the bounce back win they needed to. I, I don't think this team lacked confidence, but just the execution, right? Just just getting yeah. this team uh, back to playing closer to its potential because we haven't seen that uh, in, in a little bit. But um, the Bucks are back. It's a victory Monday, John. What do we have on the show today? Yeah, we've got a, a lot of good stuff down up for the show today. But uh, if for people who are jumping in here, please leave us your questions and your comments, your criticisms, everything like that about the team, about us, if you want. I mean, if you dare, uh, and we'll try to address that on the show and talk about all that today. Uh, that's what this show is designated for. We're also going to talk about Drew Brees' injury and the potential yes. ramifications that could have for the NFC South. We'll show you some of the things I've noticed from my early Look at the film of yesterday's game. So we've got a jam-packed show, and it is all brought to you today by our friends over at Celsius. That's right, John. We've got uh, Celsius sponsoring the Pewter Report podcast. I just got through crushing this Celsius BCAA energy drink. And the cool thing about this is this is the blood orange lemonade flavor. They've got a ton of flavors, ton of variety. Ooh, uh, I love variety. From. Yes. And the folks at Celsius want you to know to stay active and energized all day long with Celsius by your side. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. They're different from energy drinks that you might see out there in the market because they focus on movement. When combined with exercise, their formula is clinically proven to boost your metabolism and help you burn the fat. And I can attest to that as someone who's drank Celsius for pretty much all of 2020. Whether you need an extra boost at the gym or a delicious pick-me-up to help you hustle through the work day, Celsius is here to help you stay active and focused on your goals. Made with only the best ingredients Celsius offers, no artificial preservatives or flavors, no aspartame or high fructose corn syrup, and it's very low in sodium. Uh, be sure to, to check out the Celsius banners on pewterreport.com and click on them. They'll take you right to an Amazon page where you can check out uh, all of the different varieties of Celsius flavors and order them in bulk so you save money. So check out Celsius. Yeah, I can't wait to get my first one. I've I've never been an energy drink guy, Scott. I've never really yeah. drank them. I I'm like a big creature on energy type of guy, and like so I've never I don't drink yeah. coffee. I don't drink anything like anything that would give you like energy. Um, but I'm definitely gonna try these, uh, especially with the the fit thing. I'm a big fitness guy. I love uh, fitness. Uh, probably one of the things growing up that was implemented in me. And so anything that helps along those lines, I'm pretty interested in. So I can't wait to check it out and check out the variety for sure. 
Definitely. All right. We got a lot to talk about on this show, Scott, and we got a lot of questions coming in already from people. Thoughts, questions, criticism, comments, jump in and leave them for us, folks. We're going to address all of it as much as we can on today's show. We're going to talk about some of the things that you're concerned about, some of the things you're excited about for this team. Uh, and we'll start with Mariah. Mariah says Rojo has to get 25 plus carries a game. And Scott, I'm going to tell you why I think this is this is a good comment and a good point. Uh, not necessarily that I agree with Rojo getting 25 plus carries a game, but if Rojo gets 25, it means Leonard Fournette is getting any. And let me tell you why that's a great thing, Scott. Let me show you this play right here. <laughs> Leonard, Leonard Fournette. They put down the nose tag on the three technique. Oh boy. Derek Brown is on the ground. Leonard yep. Fournette, where are you going, buddy? He runs right. See this defender right over here? Yeah. He he runs right into that guy. Uh, unblock the only unblocked guy. He altered his path, runs right in him. Even Brady sees the hole. He's not even running. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of stuff you get with Leonard Fournette running the football. And as much as I know, Fournette is the better receiver. And I'm not saying he can't play at all, but Frojo yeah. getting them carries, and that means Leonard Fournette probably isn't, and that's probably a good thing for this offense. <laughs> Well, and, and the thing, John, is if you're going to give any running back 25 carries, it means that you're not trailing, right? Because I, I think that right. that's that's the big thing. If, you, if you're getting 25 carries for your running back, then that means that you're either even in terms of scoring or you're ahead. And and I, I, that's where the Bucks want to be. So, yes, they Bruce Aarons would love to get Ronald Jones 25 carries a game because that pretty much determines that the outcome is in Tampa Bay's favor. Right. Greg brings up a good point. Which running back is the better blocker, though? This was Rojo's best game in pass protection I've ever seen. Yeah. He was he only got two targets in the passing game. He fumbled one and dropped the other one. Uh, so he wasn't didn't stand out in that way, but it was his best game I saw as a pass protector in all the games I've studied of him in the NFL. Um, but Fournette has been the better pass protector this year. He's been the one that has a larger sample size of pass protection reps. He was not the better pass protector this past Sunday, though, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's still one of these things where neither guy's dominant enough to like say, oh, I'm, all my chips are down on this guy as a better pass protector. Both have been pretty seesaw their whole careers, but the larger sample size would suggest leaning toward Fournette a little bit. Yeah, and certainly too, right? The other option on third downs instead of staying in a block is going out and, and catching the ball in the flat or whatever. Yeah. And, and even though we've – we both agree, John, that, that neither one of these running backs can do much with the ball in their hands. We do know that Fournette is the better pass catcher, so he has that working in his favor. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think on third downs, at the very least, Fournette is, is as good a blocker, if not slightly better than Rojo, and he's a better pass catcher. So that's why Bruce Arians said, and he confirmed today on the conference call with us, that, that yes, Ronald Jones, or I should say uh, Leonard Fournette, is still that third down back, that yeah. nickel back. Right. It's it's one of those things that really you don't have to get a ton. I mean, clearly the Bucs have a good offense. You don't have to get a ton from the running back position in the passing game to have a successful offense, especially when you have the, the skill position players that the Bucs have. It is maddening that despite that and despite the bar being pretty low, the Bucs have not gotten anything from the running back position in the passing game, really. I mean, it's really – I tweeted out some numbers today uh, just to give people an idea, but Ronald Jones is tied for 66th out of 68 running backs with 10 targets or more in terms of yards per catch this season. That's not even talking about his five drops and two fumbles in the passing game. Um, so it's just abysmal numbers. Fournette is not much higher than that. Uh, he has a, a four drop, three or four drops, I think. Um, someone asking here, Chef Aaron asking if it's time to give – 
Vaughn, Keyshawn Vaughn opportunities. I know everyone's kind of itching for that. Um, I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think you and I said from the beginning of the yeah. year, Scott, that if everybody was healthy in the running back room and you know nothing disastrous was happening, which some disastrous things have already happened and hasn't altered the path, it just felt like Keyshawn Vaughn really wasn't going to play this year. And really, he's only played when the room's been decimated by injuries and he right. has three drops and a fumble on seven targets. So it's been a really poor showing for him on a small sample size. Tough to trust him with more opportunities, I well, think. Although he looked decent in the run game when he was in yeah, there. Yeah, I would agree. And, and the thing too, John, is it, we'll, we'll get more into the Rams on Wednesday show. But right. but really, if you look at, at, at the team they're facing, you got to think Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich are a little jealous because the Rams – have got three running backs that do a pretty good job catching the ball. Darrell Henderson uh, has got 16, mm-hmm. uh, actually 11 catches on 16 targets, 125 yards. He's averaging 11.4 yards per catch, and he's got a touchdown. Malcolm Brown, 16 catches on 23 targets, 97 yards, 6.1 yards per catch. That's similar to what kind of Rojo and and Leonard Fournette get, but then Cam Akers, yeah. the rookie, Two for two, 23 yards. Again, 11.5 yards per catch. You know, Cam Akers was one of those running backs the Bucs were looking at in, in this year's draft and probably would have taken him over Keyshawn Vaughn had he been there in the mm. third round. But um, but certainly the Rams have what the Bucs want, which is a guy yeah. that can not only catch the ball in the backfield but do something with it. Right. Yeah, it's going to be – I mean, this is a good point, Jason – brings up here and says you should have kept Dari instead of signing shady and he's absolutely right i mean that's uh, you know and we're talking again we're talking about small details in the big picture of things sure. this is not going to derail the puck season you know right. but but he's right i mean Dari would have been the better receiver the better pass protector uh you know probably a better runner the way and shady ran in a small sample and and exactly right yeah, certainly better yeah. on special teams right where where you can't I, I don't know minimize that I don't know that LaShawn McCoy is playing any special teams for the no. Buccaneers. You know, I have to go back and look at the no. film, but I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't. I think you're right. So it clearly was the wrong choice, I think. And, uh, you know, not killing them or anything, but one of the things they'll have to live with. And and, and just to, not to totally beat this point to death, but uh, Ty T says, very small sample size, hard to criticize Vaughn too much. Agreed, Ty. You know, that's why I'm not going in on him. It's been bad in a small sample size. Tough to trust that guy, a guy with that type of ball security and small sample size. But, I think you're right that I, I wouldn't hate seeing a little bit more of Keyshawn Vaughn and seeing him get involved in the passing game. It's one of the reasons why I said I, I really think you could potentially look at cutting loose LaShawn McCoy. Uh, I know maybe he's popular in the locker room, and I don't want to underestimate that. I don't know that part. But yeah. I would like to personally see Keyshawn Vaughn get snaps over LaShawn McCoy. I, I don't think he's played well enough for me to pound the table for him and right. have any to- type of support. But yeah. I just personally – don't see there's no point really to me in having LaShawn McCoy active and at least Keyshawn Vaughn there's this upside and he did a couple things got a touchdown you know ran the ball decently well late in that game I forget which one it was where they were uh, running the clock out in the fourth quarter and so I I would like to see a little bit more of him again I don't think it's the end of the world but I think it'd be the, the smart call I agree yeah uh, Greg mentions that the Bucks had trouble getting to the quarterback with a four-man rush Will they go after someone or just blitz more? What are your thoughts on this, Scott? Four-man rush, the Bucks. it seemed like you know the blitzes are clearly there. At one point, they even had three off-ball linebackers on the field, not near yeah. the goal line. I think that's the first time that's happened, not near the goal line this season, where they got Kevin Minner in there and rushed them off the edge. And they're clearly trying stuff. I think it's clear yeah. Bulls understands that a four-man rush in this team isn't very effective right now, and the Panthers did max protect a lot. But I'm not really sure what the answers are other than these blitzes. 
I think they have to rely on the blitz. When, when you look at, at we, we talked about uh, Taylor Moten and Shaq Barrett being a really tough matchup for Shaq to win because Moten's been playing pretty good right tackle yeah. for the Panthers and and held you know Shaq pretty much the entire game. It, as Bruce Arians even pointed out in the press conference today, no matter what team you are, when when you're in that we got a pass to catch up mode, that's where the pass rushers can really tee off on, on the quarterbacks. And that's when you see sacks pile up typically, right in the fourth quarter when, when you're going up against a team that's trailing. And that's where, if you have the ball, that's where you see the running backs typically go over 100 yards, right? Because you're running the ball to play keep away and run the clock out. Right. Um, so that's when sacks sometimes come in bunches, and that's really what happened for Tampa. But, but really, you look at Russell Okung was out. Jason Pierre-Paul was not able to get to the quarterback until the fourth quarter. Uh, against the backup, well, actually, he's the one that took out uh, Teddy Bridgewater on that sack. But uh, my point is that I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in in them winning their one on ones up right. front. I do think that they're really missing Vita Vea. I think that that's that's a, a big thing. Is 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 not just the production from the the sack department with Vita, who offered more than either Nacho or Steve McClendon mm-hmm. when it comes to rushing the passer. But I just think that push from Vita Bea would, would help get things fanned out for these outside linebackers and make the quarterback run into Jason Pierre-Paul or run into Shaq Barrett. We saw that last year, uh, but we're yeah. not seeing it now because there's not enough push up the middle. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, you're right. The loss of Vita Bea, it's so funny, Scott, because I remember at the beginning of the year, you and I talking, and we were like, just the reality of Vita Bea, you know, the reality of who he is as a player is that he's never going to be like this double-digit sack guy, right. like a – you know, and obviously not an Aaron Donald, but like a Cam Hayward or a Chris Jones or like a Grady Jarrett, you're not going to usually put him in that conversation because the vast majority of his impact is felt in the run game. And mm-hmm. I still think that's true, but he was probably a better pass rusher than we were giving him credit for. Well, yeah, and, and it wasn't like he was going to get the sack, John. But again, it's, I mean, you go back and look at the tape from last year, Shaq Barrett had 19 and a half sacks because yeah. the quarterback was either flushed his way or even Carl Nassib and, and Jason Pierre-Paul on the other side. The quarterback was forced that way. So I, I think that that when you have a cleaner pocket for quarterbacks to step up and throw into without much of, of an interior pass rush, uh, it hurts the edge guys. Right, and we've seen clearly the strategy for the Bucks has been and, and last week when they finally were able to be in a game situation that allowed them to kind of play to their strengths a little bit, they want – Rakeem Nunes Roaches and Steve McClendon off the field on passing downs as often as possible. Yes. And it will be fascinating. You picked up on this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was going into last week, but when teams come out and play them in two tight end sets and they don't play in nickel and the Bucs stay in base personnel, which means they have three interior defensive linemen down in those situations, they when teams try to throw at them out of those situations, they have more rushers, but they aren't necessarily better at rushing and it keeps mm-hmm. them out of a lot of their blitz things because you can only do so much dropping with those D linemen. I know they've done some with the edge guys, but with the interior guys, it limits your options a little bit. And so it's something that it's funny because you think, Oh, more bodies on the, on the line, but actually I think it's hurt them as pass rushing and teams have seen that they've got three bad pass rushers and they're less likely to blitz. You know, we're going to keep them in this situation. Now, when they've been able to go into nickel and the Panthers, you know, 11 personnel, they want to spread you out. So it was easy for the bucks to play in nickel. Most of that game, 
two interior defensive linemen, those Will Golston and Nama Sue as often as possible. And you saw Nacho and and um, and Steve McClendon snaps go way down from where way they've down. been. I mean, they yeah. were in the 30s, 40s, yep. and now this week they were in the, both in the teens, 18, 19 snaps mm-hmm. uh, for the game. So interesting stuff and in that clearly – Golston and Sue are the guys they want on the field on passing downs, and they'd like them to right. play most of the game in nickel if they can, but it's just a matter of whether other teams will let them stay in nickel with that offensive personnel that they have. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and I think that that, that in, in order to manufacture some pressure up the middle, because it's not coming from, from uh, you know, really either from Sue or McClendon or Nacho or Golston on a regular basis, you're going to have to send Devin White some more yep. gap blitzes. Sure, you are, and that's one of the things that you also want to be able to use. White. And somebody asked, you know, did did he blitz Devin White yesterday? Not nearly as much. Uh, you know, didn't yeah. feel like Devin White has been sent much the last couple of weeks. And so, part of that's just you have to get away from tendencies, although otherwise teams will kill you. Like you can't do yeah. the same thing every game of the season. Even just putting it on tape as often as you were. You know, now the Rams have to think, oh, he's barely blitzed. Devin White in recent weeks, you know, maybe we focus on this, we practice for this and this, and then you bring it back. And so I'm not saying I totally know what the strategy will be is or how he'll deploy those guys, but a lot of it is just you have to break up your tendencies, otherwise you'll get solved in this league. And so I get it to that degree, but it, it just it it brings up the glaring weakness for this defense right now. And obviously there are more than one. I think we we all kind of agree at this point. But the the main one, you know, I think if they if they played more press coverage and if they let their cornerbacks be in their comfort zone mm-hmm. a little bit more, I think the main one would be with the Bucks would be four man pass rush. Just yeah. because I don't think I know. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul has not won one on ones. I know his sack numbers look good, right. but if you watch him consistently snap to snap, he has not won one on one against offensive tackles. I mean, he should have had a much bigger impact, I think, as a pass rusher in the game against the Panthers than he did to a degree. And I think, you know, right. Shaq Barrett is getting extra attention, but at the same time, yeah, one-on-one, you're right. These guys aren't winning with the degree to the degree that they should be to create great pass rush without blitzing. And so it has made life a little bit harder for a secondary that already looks pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, and one, one thing too, John, is when you, you look at, at, uh, at pass rush, uh, and again, we'll get more into the Rams on, on Wednesday in terms of, of doing that, that opponent preview. But right. we heard some news today. It didn't sound terribly optimistic that Ali Marpet was going to play on Monday night. Uh, you know, it, they it, it didn't seem like Bruce Aarons was like, "Oh yeah, we'll have him for Monday," or or even that he'll be able to practice with the team. He said, "Well, we're going to have him stay here as give you know the players a day or two off and and try to work on some things." But um, I wouldn't necessarily count on having Ali Marpet back at left guard this week based upon what Bruce Arian said. I'm not ruling him out, but it just didn't seem yeah. like, oh, okay, well, Allie's going to be available for the Bucks on, on Monday night. Yeah, he said, I'll read his exact quote so re- or listeners can uh, know what he said, but m- m- what Bruce Arian says was, he's still in the protocol, some minor stuff, but he'll have individual workouts with the trainers while the rest of the guys are taking off. We'll see if we can get through this and get him through the protocol. So, sounds like yeah, hard to tell a whole lot. I mean, I think it's just, you know, maybe being cautious, but clearly he returned to practice, you know what I mean? And then yeah. even if on a limited basis and all was not right. So, yeah, concern for his well-being for sure, I think, is out there. Um, not yet in like well, danger territory, what, I don't think. What but. also Bruce said was he wanted him back 
for the long haul. He wanted him mm-hmm. back for good, not just to try to rush him back in there to face Aaron Donald and then have a, any type of setback. I think when right. Bruce, when, when the Bucks want him back, they want him back for the rest of the season and not have this concussion thing be something lingering that, that lingers. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or he didn't want him against the Panthers and he wanted to make sure he was <laughs> right for him. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, yeah, I which is the smart play. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that it's going to be, that's going to be obviously one to watch. I mean, Donald, but you know, we mentioned this a little bit, we were talking about today and I mentioned it um, when I was talking to Tristan Wirfs today in the media availability, but Aaron Donald has played outside more. You know, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. He's played outside more this season than ever before. He's played a ton of snaps outside right. of the tackle. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunity against Donovan Smith and probably against Tristan Wirfs as well. So it's not just going to be Marpet as it may have been in the past, more Marpet and Jensen. Now it'll be yeah. a variety, a cast of characters, and the Rams do a ton of different things with their pass rush. Like I they said, really we'll talk do. about tomorrow. So there will be a lot, and it is very important that even if you know, Ali Marpet, if he can clear protocol by the time they get back into practice on, on what Thursday or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that he can get good reps in because the Rams right. run a ton of games they and they do a they, ton of <laughs> they throw a ton they at really you. Do. Um, yeah. so it's going to be an aggressive approach from them. And I think it'll be important that the, that the offense has their continuity on the offensive line, uh, with the guys that are going to play. So, um, definitely a lot to consider there. We've got more questions coming in. Um, we'll get to some of these. There's questions about Josh Rosen today. <laughs> I've Great. seen that's, several people. That's why we love you guys out there in Pewter Nation because you, uh, you know, you you're not just uh, interested in the surface level stuff. You like to dig deep, just like Pewter Report does. We like to right. cover this team from all angles and um, um, and not just on what's happening this week, but also what's happening later on this year. So make sure you check out my SRS Fab Five on Friday. Um, I'm actually going to be out of town. I'm going to visit my daughter out there in Kansas State. and uh, But I will have the Fab Five. I've already started working on it, and I'll have that for you guys on Friday. But don't miss this because some really good stuff uh, about what lies ahead for the Buccaneers the rest of the season, in addition to uh, my four matchups to watch for the Bucks rams game on Monday night and, uh, and then my fast-forward rewind, which will kind of take a look at couple things you might have missed from last week's, or I should say yesterday's game, really against Carolina, and previewing the L.A. Rams as they come to town. Yeah, there's a lot to, you know, just thinking about Josh Rosen. Last time we were talking to, I think it was was Clyde Christensen maybe, and he was saying how they need to get Josh Rosen on a better plan for practice. They need to make sure he's getting better reps so that he's improving because, you know, you get in season, there's no chance to get reps um, for those guys. So. Right, because really, it, for those fans out there that don't realize, Josh Rosen is not running the Buccaneers' offense, right he, at all. <laughs> he's he's learning this offense on the fly. He's not even being taught this offense because Clyde Christensen is spending about ninety eight percent of his time with Tom Brady, and the other two percent is with Blaine Gabbert, who's the backup. So, right, right, right now, Josh Rosen is simply in sponge mode, and what that means, John, is is he's just sitting in the room watching the game plans week to week picking up this offense on the fly because they just don't have the time to really teach him. And even when he's out of practice, he's not even really focused on what Tom Brady's doing watching him. He's running the cards for the Bucks defense. So he is running, he is playing Jared Goff this week and running the Rams offense. And then uh, the next week he's going to be playing Patrick Mahomes and running the Chiefs offense. So it really won't be until next offseason that – 
the Josh Rosen if he is re-signed by the Bucks, and I, I think there's a pretty decent chance that that they want to take a look at him and see what he can do in their offense. Mm-hmm. But he probably won't get uh, any type of real familiarity with with what Tampa Bay is doing and running Bruce Arians' offense until OTAs and mini camps. Uh, and let's knock on wood that this COVID thing is gone by by yeah. next spring, and we can actually right. have OTAs and mini camps, which we didn't have this year. Yeah, normal life would be pretty weird. Um, somebody asks how how important it is for them to add a pass rusher. I just don't know that that's going to happen at this point. I mean, it's always yeah. possible, I guess, if an injury happens. But I think this is probably the group we're probably riding with this group the rest of the season. And uh, it's just a matter of can Anthony Nelson give you something on passing downs when he's on when he's not unblocked? You know, can yeah. he can he win? Can he get home? Can he get any pressures? You know, that would help this group tremendously. So he's been good as a run defender, but I I agree. And it's not going to be Clay Matthews. So yeah, I know there's some fans out there. I mean, he's, he is unsigned for a reason. (laughs) Didn't have great tape last year. Wants Mm -hmm. too much money. Um, And, you know, I I think that now if something happens to Jason Pierre, Paul or Shaq Barrett, and you lose those guys for the rest of the year, then you get desperate and you're looking for anybody off the street. But right now, um, I, I don't see this team adding a pass rusher. They're going to roll with Cam Gill and and Anthony Nelson right now. Somebody asked, I got a couple people maybe asking if the Bucks would have interest in DeAndre Baker. I don't, didn't read into all the details today, but I did see uh, Giants for, former Giant first round pick from a couple years ago was cleared of all charges in a robbery case, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I can't remember the, all the exact charges, but he was cleared of those, so yeah. he is good to go in terms of signing with another team. But it doesn't really do anything to pique my interest because I didn't think DeAndre Baker was that great coming out of college, and his testing didn't really say he was that great, and then he was horrible as a rookie. And I know the character concerns for him are real. In this case, yeah. maybe I don't know what happened. But heard it all pre-draft. Uh, they're real. Uh, you know, his teammates at Georgia weren't even that wild about him, to be yeah. honest with you. So that takes a lot. So, and John, the Bucks oh, are thanks. happy and satisfied with Russ Cockrell. That's right. Getting oh, poor Ross. We got to talk about this guy. He gets in for one play. Oh this man, this poor man, and he is. I mean, and Ross Cockrell's the nicest guy. I know Bucks fans. I covered him in Pittsburgh. I talk to him all the time. He is one of the nicest guys. You could ever talk to in the locker room. You know, he's just great. And he comes out for one snap. I mean, his first snap of the year and just gets flattened by one of the biggest tackles in the league. Like you said today in the group chat, are we sure Ross Carkle's even actually still alive? Like, yeah, he needs needs a chance to redeem himself in, in the upcoming weeks. Um, good question here from G Vegas. Uh, will the Bucks have Mike Edwards? With more playing time, uh, he did get a bump this week. Seventeen snaps, I think he had the other day. Mm-hmm. Didn't allow a catch. Pro Football Focus rocked him on their grade. I'm I don't understand why. I'm going to go through. I'm watching offense first, and then I'll go through defense and look for uh, ugly well, plays from Mike Edwards. But he didn't crazy. miss any tackles and didn't allow any catches. Well, it's like it looked. You looked like he was going to give up that big bomb, which right. would put the Panthers at or in field goal range. But then he he went ahead and. And, and got his hand in there and, and, and knocked the ball loose or at least contested right. it a little bit to where it hit the ground. And, and then, you know, maybe had a little bit of savvy to try to rip the ball away. You drew a, a, a delay of game penalty right there that, that, uh, that had that play stood would not have been ideal because yeah. then you're That's almost in, in automatic field goal range. Uh, but 
But, uh, you know, it, it, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of this guy. There's something about him that, that the ball seems to find him, right? And, and even, even going back to the, the Saints game, there's only one turnover, right? That was the Shaq sack fumble, and yeah. Mike Edwards was the guy that scooped and almost scored. So I'd like to see a little bit more of him. Uh, I, you know, even if you have to put him inside at nickel and move Sean Murphy Bunting out or, or move Antoine Winfield into nickel, and then insert him at safety, I think that's the better play than putting Copper on the field. Yeah, it's going to be something that they're going to probably have to keep the door open on all year. You know, you're going to be constantly evaluating those spots, I think, because, yeah, Mike Edwards has played really, really well. Um, he hasn't given up hardly anything. I think he's over 100 snaps now for the year, so yeah. uh, it would be interesting to see how that, uh, what direction that trends. Okay, Jason Stamps, good question. This might open us up for some dialogue here. Early indications of Brady's performance yesterday. I'm watching the tape now. Mm-hmm. There's three the three vertical balls that we talked about. Okay, mm-hmm. I believe, and I don't know if we'll get a straight answer from anyone about this, unless the wide receivers coach, what Kevin Garber, uh, is is up this week to talk again. <laughs> but I think on the He's vertical, the truth. That's right. He just tells us. I appreciate that. Um, I I think the vertical ball to Antonio Brown that everyone said you know Tom Brady missed uh, at the beginning of the game. I'm pretty sure watching it on tape, it's Brown's fault. I, I'm yeah. almost certain. I it would make sense just in general. You know, you're talking about a guy who's new to the offense. You get it a little right. bit, but I think what happened and made the play confusing. And this is one of those variables with football that you just don't think about is that they're running a basically. I won't get into technical terms for it, but the Bucks are running Mike Evans on a dig to mm-hmm. open up to get the safety to bite the near safety right. to the bite and get Antonio up. Brown right o- open over the top. Well, both safeties bit. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen that. Both deep safeties bit. So the middle of the field is completely wide open. Brady's just watching the near safety to see if he bites on Antonio Brown, and he does. Well, A.B. just sees that there's nobody to the whole right side of the field, and he starts right. running to the right side of the field when really he, he just is looking at that just safety. Yeah, exactly just, right. Just, yeah. it's, and Brady's not even – Brady's reading the route concept to that side right. of the field. And so I wouldn't even say it's – yeah, I mean, technically, I think Antonio Brown did the wrong thing, but yeah. I, I wouldn't, I get it where he was coming from. It was just one of those right. things that it was It happened wrong. so quickly, right? It's just that they were on different pages. Now, let me ask you, uh, John, since you you spent years covering the Steelers and, and covered Antonio Brown up there, is that is that something where where he and Ben Roethlisberger, where where Ben would lead him in a certain you know way, it, 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 you know, because we're all creatures of habit as human beings, right? Is that right. one of those things where where he read that? And maybe maybe kind of like drifted back into Pittsburgh mode, and and uh, is that something that that Ben would do? Would he lead receivers to an open quadrant of the field rather than just you know? I honestly think Ben would have thrown it the exact same way Brady did. Okay. I mean, I think it was just it's like any you know he's reading that safety to see if that safety bites on Mike Evans, he throws over the top. If that safety sits right. on Antonio Brown in the vertical, he throws the dig. It's just a simple read, and you read the safety, and whatever the read whatever the safety does, you make the throw off of that. The problem was honestly that the Bucks, the Panthers blew the coverage worse than White. expected. And right, exactly <laughs> right. The other safety jumped. Whammy. Right. Who Brady's not even looking at the other safety, nor should he be. And AB just saw, oh, nobody's over here at all. Like I should run, you know, away. From, I think it was quarters coverage and that other corners is right. squatting over there. I forget what's happened on the near side, on the other side of the field. But so he was just like, I'll run all the way to this space. And I think he just should have kept going vertical. And so I think that was the issue with that one. The other two, um, he missed Mike Evans and he missed Rob Gronkowski on 
plays that were – I think there was one play in between them, the same drive right after the pick, right after the JPP pick. He missed Mike Evans for a touchdown and then a little bit of a tighter window, a little bit of a tougher throw because he had to reset his platform because there was pressure and throw. So it was a little bit rushed, missed Gronk deep. Um, so I did think he missed those two throws, even though the second one was tougher. So I would say those two were actual misses by Brady on that. It's so funny. We have seen Brady miss long this season. We have not seen him underthrow hardly anyone. I mean, there right. hasn't been – so it's funny with all the arm strength questions. Yeah. If anything, he's gunning this thing That's a right. little bit too strong. But it's interesting too. Beginning of the season was almost an unsustainable rate of quality play with the deep ball. I mean, mm -hmm. we talked about it at length. Weeks one through seven were totally dominant. Brady was absolutely killing it with the deep ball. Right. Receivers were making great plays. Scotty Miller was a big part of that, um, which we may touch on here as well. Um, Scotty Miller yeah. of, and, of and nine snaps from the other night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing too is, is we mentioned Scotty Miller and he caught one of those deep balls for Brady, that touchdown, beautifully thrown, beautifully caught right before halftime. And that was mm -hmm. in a dome stadium, John. So when you look at, at, uh, at the remaining games, you've got two at home and it's been windy for whatever reason. Maybe it's all these tropical storms that have, that have hit this area, but it's been windy in Tampa mm -hmm. for the last couple of games. I know cause I go down uh, to the concourse to do my post game interviews with News Channel Eight, WFLA, yeah. and and it's windy as all get out, and so that has been a factor. But you've got a couple of games, you know, coming up um, here in Tampa, and maybe as we're still in hurricane season. Well, you know what, we're doing hurricane stuff. We might as well do the Briar Greaves read right now, John. Um, <laughs> th there are hurricanes. We Tell the people through and uh so everything Brad Greaves has been telling you guys is legit uh Briar Greaves insurance it's it's supposed to be the end of hurricane season it's not there's another one coming down there hitting Honduras and hopefully it stays down there but don't wait to review your insurance policies call Briar Greaves insurance just family owned and has served the greater Tampa Bay area for 30 years for your homeowners of policy for your auto boat life commercial and flood insurance needs a lot of homeowner companies are canceling and not renewing in the state of Florida, or they're just leaving Florida altogether or increasing premiums significantly. I know because this happened to me. Do what I did. I called Briar Greaves and spoke directly to Briar and Sam on a call. I actually had multiple calls with them. And they gave me that personalized touch for the information I needed about my insurance rate. And guess what? They saved me some money, too. That's not a bad thing. The folks at Briar Greaves are also big Bucks fans. They're proud sponsors of the pewter report podcast on pewterreport.com so click on their banner on our website or visit briargreavesinsurance.com briargreavesinsurance.com or call 813-876-4166 that's 813-876-4166 briargreaves insurance yeah this is the whole brady discussion with the deep ball is really fascinating to me scott because Early in the season, like I said, it was unbelievable. But the last three games, weeks eight, nine, and ten, okay, and there's been a myriad of factors for this. It has not just been Brady, as we talked about last week. I mean, there was right. a bunch of them where it wasn't an accuracy issue. It was just a communication issue. There were three of them last week. And so it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. Uh, but they're one for 13 on throws of 20 yards or more over the past yep. couple – over the past three weeks. So that's obviously – like I said, the early rate was probably unsustainable – I don't right. know that they could have been that good the rest of the season because it was so good. Uh, but lately, it's kind of like dipped totally the opposite way. So we've regressed past John, the mean now. So things probably average out at some point. Out of, out of the, the last six games, there are two games that are in domes, which should help Tom Brady because if he was able to, to, to find 
those receivers downfield out there at the Death Star in Las Vegas in a dome stadium. They have a game yeah. coming up against the Falcons. They also have a game coming up, up in Detroit in December. So out of the Bucks' last four games, two of those, he'll have ideal weather conditions to throw in, obviously, in those dome stadiums. Right. Yeah, there's going to be a number of factors at work here. One is that there's no way the, com- the communication issues, generally speaking, don't sustain themselves through an entire year. And that's where a lot of these incompletions on deep balls are coming from. There are also some where, you know, the, the he was a little bit late on the corner route to Mike Evans against the Giants for, would have been for a big gain um, on that drive. And I, I think that was one. And then Mike Evans, I think there was one last week, maybe later in the game. And then there was one the, uh, last week. He was just off on a couple, uh, the, the one to Rob Gronkowski, remember, right yeah. before the end of the first half, I want to say maybe a deep one down the middle. It was just overthrown a little bit. Um, and then this past week, he like I said, he gunned those two deep. So they, they've got to get that part of the game sorted out. There's no question. Um, like I said, I don't know that we'll necessarily see what happened early in the season happen all the time, but they've definitely got to get on the same page with a vertical ball and continue to work that out. One of the big questions in that is how Scotty Miller's role in the offense affects things on the vertical ball. He played nine snaps, and Tyler Johnson played seven, and Justin Watson played four. And like yeah. I said the other day, Scott – I don't know that I've ever seen a team's leading receiver basically just get totally benched and cut out of the game plan. I know he's not the guy you want to run your offense through. I know injuries right. are a part of it, but there's no doubt Scotty Miller was playing great football and contributing. And the Bucs just said, snip, snip, like it's it. You know, yep. We're cutting you out. And it's still kind of crazy to me that that happened. I, I'm not saying I don't know Antonio Brown's a better player, um, and I know it worked out last week, but I just think Scotty Miller – has to have more of a role than nine snaps a game. And maybe the situation had something to do with it last yeah. week for sure, but well, still. And, and listen, John, as someone who saw the wide receiving core just get completely dismantled by hamstring injuries in December, mm-hmm. right? we had Mike Evans go down, miss the last three games. Uh, then you had Scotty Miller and Chris Godwin both get hurt up in Detroit last year in December. And it was, it was Rashad Perriman and everybody else. Actually, nobody else. <laughs> Those last couple of games. And and the Bucs were, were poised to really go nine and seven. The offense was humming. They'd ripped off several wins in a row. And and uh it just it, it didn't do Jameis Winston any favors. And he was forcing balls into into tight coverages, throwing to guys he'd never thrown to. They literally were signing guys off the street. Uh Jonathan Franklin, Cyril Grayson, uh um, yep. you know, all these guys were were like off the street, you know practice on Wednesday and you're going to play on Sunday type guys mm-hmm. because of the injuries. So I'm not too concerned right now about Scotty Miller's role because history has shown that, that there's going to be an injury to the wide receiving core. Uh, Lord knows Chris Godwin's already suffered several this year from a Jeez. hamstring to the finger, to the concussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then Mike Evans dealt with a hamstring injury, then the ankle injury. So they're going to need Scotty at some point in time. And, and I, I've got uh, all the confidence in the world that he'll step in and, and, and and play well when, when his number's called again. But it's not yeah. going to be for a while with AB here. Right. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. You can only play. So it'll be more than it was the other night in, in most games, I right. think. I don't think you'll see nine snaps. Yeah. But when they're in control and they're, you know, they're playing Cambrai 29 snaps a game and Anthony O'Claire, you know, 20 some snaps a game, like then in those situations, you're going to see way less right. of, of a fourth receiver for sure. Yeah. Um, no question about that. So, uh, you know, lots to consider and talk about as we move forward here on the show. But one of the things that we've got to talk about, Scott, is this Drew Brees situation. Uh, an injury against the 49ers, a big hit by Contavious Street. 
He gets crunched, apparently already had a rib injury and came into the game with a cracked rib or something. Um, and, and maybe the game against the Bucks, he had a cracked rib at some point. Uh, I'm not sure, but you know, it just feels like this is something that, you know, breeze injury, you know, the look at the same schedule. It's not very difficult. They've got Falcons, uh, remind me Falcons, uh, Broncos, Falcons, and Eagles. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, yeah. Then that's you in one way, John, they play the chiefs. That's it. Everybody else is easy. Is I shouldn't say an easy win because on any given Sunday in the NFL, but, but the saints have so much continuity on, uh, you know, in their system from, from Sean Payton running the offense to Dennis Allen running the defense. I think their defense is, is pretty good. I think DeMario Davis has really had a, a solid year in the middle there. For them right. and they've got some playmakers in the back end uh, they've, they've got a, a very active front four um even with Jameis winston and Taysom hill splitting that role i think that, that they can play conservative enough with alvin Kamara and, and some of the weapons they have play it safe and and they can out talent some of these teams like the falcons the panthers the eagles the broncos the vikings down the stretch and if they lose to the to the chiefs you know Okay, that then then you, you take that one. But I think out of the remaining, and I think they've got seven games left because they're seven and two. So with seven games left, I, I don't see them losing more than two. And I think the magic number for the Bucks to beat them is three. I think the Buccaneers have to have the Saints lose three games for them to pass them. Because when you look right now, the Saints have got the the tiebreaker over the Bucks and that that sweep, right? They've swept them. Yeah. And I just don't see the Buccaneers winning out. It really would take the Buccaneers winning out or losing just one game down the stretch for, for them to overtake the Saints because uh, I, I just don't see with, with the Saints' remaining schedule them losing more than one game, and it might be to the Chiefs. So I, I, yeah. I, I is there a window? Yes. But what it would have to be is Jameis Winston would have to be gifting the Buccaneers this division title. What I mean by gifts, John, is I mean pick six is galore. Like Oprah, pick six for you, pick six for you, pick six for you. It'd have to be something like that. And, 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 and then it's if, happened. That, if that happens, then it, then you're going to see Taysom Hill take over at quarterback full time. And then the giant, or I should say the. Um, he can't throw. The, the, no, but the Saints would turn into the New England Patriots. And he'd just take a page out of Bill Belichick's playbook where they're going to run. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be like Bill Snyder's Kansas State Wildcats with Michael Bishop or Colin Klein. They're just going to run, yeah. you know, a uh, wing tee football and uh, and just run to win. Right. I mean, Jameis dropped back twelve times. Uh, Taysom Hill did get his fair share of snaps too, but twelve times he dropped back to pass. He was in for thirty-four snaps. Some of those were wide receiver while Taysom Hill was the quarterback. So the Saints are going to do some crazy stuff. But even in those twelve draft dropbacks, Jameis took two sacks. One of them was was terrible. He was running around yeah. like just like we've seen for years in Tampa Bay. Um, and he threw this play right here. I mean, this is vintage Jameis, right? Play action, looking. There's a defender right oh, there in the middle oh, of the field. Oh. Runs right to. I mean, so, I mean, that's – I just – I don't know. I mean, with Jameis Winston, the realities are this, um, that you are probably always going to get those throws. It's If they drop them, he'll make enough good ones where you can win the game. If you don't, um, you better score a ton of points. And – uh, this game, he really was – it was pretty conservative. I mean, he didn't really right. rip the ball on the field at all. That's by design. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> and that 
And that's what's going to be so fascinating about this, Scott, is because Jameis Winston has a massive opportunity in front of him to be yeah. able to get paid after this. Like Absolutely. this is his window. He was just paid chump change yeah. to go to New Orleans and be their essentially their third string guy who doesn't play right. unless of emergency. And now he's in with a situation where he can with a good team around him, Michael Thomas back, a great offensive line, and a mm -hmm. scheme that if people are saying, oh, Aaron's quarterbacks always throw picks, and I get it, I'm not saying that isn't part of it. This scheme is like the opposite. It's like the anti air. You know, there's no throws yeah. down the field. There's no high degree difficulty stuff. And if he plays well, he's going to make himself some money. I also think we're going to see that Breeze was doing stuff that was really not that hard. Yeah. And you <laughs> know what, John? This is the nightmare scenario for the Buccaneers. And I, and I hate to, to be that, that boogeyman that comes in Buck fans' dreams and just uh, it gives them a cold sweat at night. But I, I'm going to say it. There, there was a time when a quarterback named Trent Dilfer, John, was jettisoned from Tampa Bay, and yes. he ended up in Baltimore. Now, I'm not saying the Saints' defense is anywhere near that awesome, amazing, wonderfully talented, all-time Ravens defense, okay? But I will say, because I was there, I was there watching the Ravens and Trent Dilfer beat the New York Giants where? In Raymond James Stadium for the Super Bowl, okay? Yeah. That would be a very, very bitter pill for Buck fans to swallow to see Jameis Winston go to a division title, I should say division uh, opponent, and win a, a division title, right? And That's then, true. And then show up at Raymond James Stadium in February with the Saints and <laughs> and win, win a, a Super Bowl, win a Lombardi. People are already furious at you in the comments. <laughs> I know. But no, Breeze will probably be back. I mean, talking to you, looking at opinions from around the from around the league. I'm as well, a surgeon friend of mine that does work for Steelers Depot, covering um, injuries for them and injury analysis, and said probably about a month at best. I see other like the most optimistic. I think Graziano, Dan Graziano, reported from ESPN that the most optimistic approach would be like two to three weeks. But there's, it seems like it's going to be a month, and we'll see about five weeks, um, and uh, then we'll go from yeah. there. But so I don't think, you know, and Breeze is coming back. I mean, James Winston can throw fifty touchdowns in the time that you know. But Breeze is, they're not taking that opportunity right. away from Breeze to try and win a Super Bowl here before it's over. So, um, but at the at the end of the day, like honestly, I I think Jameis is going to be Jameis, who we've always seen. The only question to me is. Will they let him do enough to hurt the team? That's exactly. the big question to me because they have Taysom Hill. They have an offense that they can neuter down. The defense is playing a lot better. I mean, heck, James Winston's first pass is like negative two yards of depth uh, to Alvin Kamara. He throws behind the line of scrimmage, and Kamara busts literally like seven tackles. They got called back right. due to a penalty somewhere else. But, I mean, it was just – and that's the kind of guys they have. They have guys in, in New Orleans that in the short game make people miss and pick up yards after the catch. They're built yeah. very different than Tampa Bay on offense, and it's going to be fascinating from a, just from a neutral perspective. No, you're right. To and, see what and happens. Really, with really what it is, is is you're exactly right. And I think what Sean Payton's going to ask Jameis to do is play point guard, right? Distribute the ball. But the problem is, is Jameis is so used to the alley-oops, like literally throwing the ball from the top of the key up to Mike Evans for the alley-oop dunk. And and that's not exactly the most um, you know easy play to make. It's, it's not a, a one that, that comes with a high degree of success. And that's why Jameis was kind of a scattershot deep ball passer. But yes, when 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 they were able to connect, it, it looked pretty. It made the highlight reel and all that. But mm -hmm. I think what what Sean Payton's going to ask Jameis to do is play point guard, but to do the short passes to the shooting guards, the short passes 
to the uh, like the, the little bounce passes. You wheel it around to the you know to the power forward and work the ball inside to the center and and be a lot more conservative. And we'll yeah. see because that's not Jameis's nature. He's gonna have to go against himself. Right. And and if he does, that that could help the Saints. And if he doesn't, and if he stays true to who he is, that could help the Buccaneers. Right. It's it's gonna be like I said, it'll be crazy to see because in college, you're right. He just they did what they he wanted, he did what he wanted, and he threw a bunch of picks. And then really, you know, Dirk Cutter and Bruce Aaron's offense isn't that far off from Dirk Cutter's, to be honest, at least right, in terms vertical. of pass, right, both vertical based passing attacks. And so he's kind of been like also coached to do a lot of these things. And so it will be interesting to see if some of that can unravel. But then at the same time, if it does, if you pull back some of those layers for him and he's not as risky as he once was. Is he still as good or effective as a quarterback? You know what I mean? Um, is that still something that he does really well? Because the other weakness of Jameis's game, it's not just that he throws picks. He doesn't manage the he pocket well either. Yeah. Exactly. He takes yeah. big sacks, and that's huge. And I think if guys aren't open right away underneath and he can't get the ball out, I could see him going into panic mode and taking sacks too. So there's a lot of yeah. layers to peel back with Jameis. It's just going to be fascinating to see how they handle it, how a, he plays. I get a funny feeling that the Bucks are going to play the Saints in the playoffs. And James is going to be the quarterback. I, I'm not saying that because I, I think I think you're right. The Breeze might come back, but the right. thing is, is again, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, a uh, you know a, a quarterback. How is he? 41, right? 41 years old, Drew Breeze, and yep. he's got rib injuries. I mean, that's not going to heal. That's that's going to heal yeah. enough to get him back in the lineup, but one more sack or two, and I think that he's going to end up in the same situation that he was in. It's he's not going to be fully recovered and healed from that until the offseason. But again, the Saints offensive line is one of the best. So they've got all the motivation to protect this guy once he gets back in the lineup. But he's rarely sacked. Right. Yeah, there's uh there's a ton to watch for in New Orleans. But like we said, if the schedule were tougher, I might yeah. feel like a yeah, little I more optimistic for the Bucks. But the Buck schedule is tough and the Saints schedule is not. Um, yeah. and so I just think if the Saints were playing, then the Chiefs and the Rams next yeah. two games, then I might feel really differently. But well, the interesting thing is, I believe the Saints play the Falcons next week. So Dirk Cutter knows right. James Winston very well, and it'll uh, be interesting to, to see how much intel he can give. Uh, and I think Jameis has thrown like seven interceptions in his last three games against the Falcons, or something like that. I mean, yeah. plenty of touchdowns, plenty of yards too, all that. Um, but yeah. he has thrown the ball to Atlanta, he loves- as Box fans remember a lot. Yeah. And he, he has one up there at the, at the Georgia Dome, so we'll have to see. Right. There's uh, there's a lot of layers to this season, man, and, and the NFC in general. I mean, I feel like we could do like a full hour-long podcast on the NFC every single week. That's how ridiculous this conference. I mean, you just, Packers almost losing to yeah. the Jaguars with Jake Luton right. quarterback. I mean, what is going on? Like, And it's so I mean, top-heavy, oh. too. There's, there's so many teams yeah. that outside of the NFC least division, uh, right. and, I, and I'm writing about this in my Fab Five this week just to give you all a little bit of a, of a teaser. Um, the NFL has got to do something with, with, with this ridiculous notion that, that, that these division winners mean anything. They really don't. I, I think that the NFL, um, they, they've changed so many rules, John, that they've got to change another one. That you don't qualify for the playoffs unless you have at least a 500 record. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a seven, and that's what's going to happen this year, you're going to have a – Seven and nine or seven, eight and one team at best, at best, at best, at best out of the NFC East, making the team or making the playoffs and and denying a 10 and six team 
yeah. uh, a shot at at the postseason, and that's just which wrong. is just ridiculous. It, yeah, wrong. just stupid. Yeah. Right? You can and, still and then, value division winners and say if you're five, if you're less, if you're worse than five hundred, you're not in the playoffs. Like you can right. you can do both. Like absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. There's no but, excuse for that. Not then I also yet. think there should be a qualifier that you have to have a winning record to host a playoff game. I think it's ridiculous that that uh, that the Giants or the Eagles are going to host. Oh a yeah. Team or an eleven win team. It's happened right. before. I'm going to write about that in my Fab Five. But it's happened before, and it's it's just ridiculous. It's one of the right. worst parts of the NFL. It's how they glorify and and and. And make these division winners holier than thou. It's it's just mm-hmm. ridiculous, and it's going to end up costing a team in the NFC this year. And it might even be your Tampa Bay Buccaneers unless they get to eleven wins. I'm just telling. Yeah, you. I'm looking at the standings right now just to get an idea for for where a team's going to suffer. I mean, obviously, right away the NFC West comes to mind because right now the Arizona, LA, the LA Rams, and the Seahawks are six and three. All of them are yeah. six and three. And then obviously you have the Saints at seven and two, Bucks at seven and three. You know, and but it's possible all the teams I just mentioned um, could get in with the seven with the seven seeds. You know, it's possible that that could happen. Yeah. What everybody really needs is for the Bears to fall off, and then we won't have anything to feel bad yeah, exactly. about because right now the Bears are kind of five and four. So they play around. tonight. Yeah. They play tonight against the Vikings, and yeah. if the Vikings win that game, the Vikings will be four and five. The Bears will be five and five, and so yeah. we'll feel less bad about. Miss about you know even though the Bears or Vikings or Lions probably are the ones that end up getting screwed out of that playoff spot, um, we'll feel less bad about it because they'll probably be a 500 team or so, and then you'll have the NFC East division winner. But you're right, and, and uh, right now there's about eight teams uh, in contention uh, if you yes. count the Bears and whoever else in the, in the North. Um, so there's uh there's for seven spots. So looks good for the Bucks though. We mentioned that what last or earlier or yesterday that when they get to when you get to seven and three. 93% chance to make the playoffs over the last 10 years. Um, I think the Bucs were – I think there were two teams that didn't make it. I think the Bucs were one of those teams, weren't they? Were they 7-3 and three in like 2000? Uh, yes, they were 2010. In 2010, 2010 yeah. So they were one of the 7-3 teams that didn't make it. Yeah. Um, I think the other one was in the last five years, and I don't remember what team it was. Uh, it, was it was 2014. Of the, 14. Yeah, uh, 2014, the Philadelphia Eagles – was I it the Eagles? Okay. Didn't make didn't make the playoffs because of the Carolina Panthers that year. Panthers huh. were seven, eight, and one, and cost wow. the Eagles a chance at, at making the playoffs. I believe wow. that's correct. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so right, right. So I think there's only been like two teams in the last ten years or so, but the Bucs were one of them. Yeah. So, the, but seven and three, it usually gets you in. Eight and three, if they win next week against the Rams. 100% of teams that have started 8 and 3 over the last 10 years have made the playoffs. I bet that's even you could stretch that out past yeah. the last 10 years and I bet that would still oh, hold yeah. true 8 and 3. And, and guess, guess what, John? It wasn't just the Buccaneers that got cheated, right, with with one of those teams because no, the thing is is in 2010, the team that that the that the Buccaneers lost to in terms of the tiebreaker were, were the Packers. And the Packers actually went on to beat the Steelers that year and win the Super Bowl, right? So Right. It, it wasn't as if the Bucks got cheated by the Packers. The Bucks in 2010 got cheated by the Seahawks because mm-hmm. the Seahawks finished seven and nine, won the division, and that ended That's up right. costing them. And the that was the Marshawn Lynch year, the Marshawn yes. Lynch run against the Saints. <laughs> against the Saints, the Saints were 11 and five, and the Saints had beaten the Seahawks earlier that year. Matter of fact, the Bucks beat the Seahawks 38 to 15. Mm-hmm. At Raymond James Stadium Good that memory. year, so the Seahawks had no business being in the playoffs that year. 
that cost the Buccaneers a chance. Then, as we were just talking about 2014, guess what else happened, John? In 2014, the Carolina Panthers, 7-8-1, won the NFC South in a very down year for the division. So they got to host a team in the playoffs. Guess who they hosted, John? They hosted Bruce Arians' Cardinals team. That's right. Who was 11-5. and And they beat the Cardinals. I remember because that. Because they had home field advantage. <laughs> so... This this is it's kind of it's kind of cosmic here that the two teams that have gotten screwed were Bruce Arians Cardinals and Josh Freeman and Raheem Morris's Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I hope that it doesn't come back to bite the Buccaneers again they got to do their part and win some games starting with Monday night's game against the right. Rams which we're going to talk about in depth on Wednesday so make yep. sure that you tune in Wednesday at four o'clock for the next. Computer Report podcast, and uh, if you haven't done it already, what are you waiting for? Go to our YouTube page, Pewter Report TV. Just type in Pewter Report TV when you go to YouTube. Hit subscribe; it's free; doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. Hit subscribe, and then click on notifications, and you'll get notifications every time we go live, which is pretty consistent. John, it's it's after the game on Sundays, mm-hmm. Mondays at four, Wednesdays at four, Thursdays you have a guest on, typically at four p.m. Right. But you have to work around the schedule sometimes, so it's kind of like appointment viewing so yep. make sure that you tune in at, to, to pewter report tv on youtube and and uh and follow us right yeah it's it's gonna be fun stuff and tomorrow or wednesday sorry we'll be off tomorrow but it's wednesday 4 p.m i'm telling you right now click that notifications for when we go live because yes. it is going to be one Don't of the most important people. shows yes there yes. Are, is a ton to talk about the Rams are not like the other 31 teams in the nfl and we're going to talk all about that and what it looks like what it means who could have big games? Who's going to need to step up? All of it on Wednesday show at 4 p.m. So there is going to be a lot of, of a lot to talk about, and we'll take some of your questions as well as much as we can get in. But there will be a ton of details uh, in in uh, that show um, in lieu of Monday night's game. So make sure you tune into that one. Going to be a lot of fun on the podcast as well. So until then, we appreciate y'all. Shout out to all y'all for your questions and your comments, your donations, your super chats, all of that stuff. The love you've been showing us on this show. Keep subscribing. Tell your friends and families and loved ones all about the show. And until then, we appreciate y'all. Thanks for tuning in for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. Out. Out.